Well, if you would now, take out your Bibles with me. Let's turn together to the book of Genesis in chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29. So we continue working our way verse by verse in these days through the life of Jacob. I want to begin this way with a quote. There is nothing more calculated to increase our faith than the knowledge of the providence of God. Because without it, we would be harassed with doubts and fears, being uncertain whether or not the world was governed by chance. For this reason, it follows that those who aim at the subversion of this doctrine, depriving the children of God of true comfort and vexing their minds by unsettling their faith, forge for themselves a hell upon earth. For what can be more awfully tormenting than to be constantly racked with doubt and anxiety? And we will never be able to arrive at a calm state of mind until we are taught to repose with implicit confidence in the providence of God. There are a few things that bring more comfort and more peace to the heart of a Christian, especially in a time of hardship, than the providence of God. What a joy to know these things that are happening to me are not happening by chance. There is a purpose behind what is happening to me. The hand of God is behind what is going on here. This passage that we're about to look at is all about the providence of God. Listen to this statement from the London Baptist Confession, see if you agree with this statement. God, the Creator of all things, in His infinite power and wisdom, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things, from the greatest even to the least, by His most wise and holy providence to the end for which they were created, according to His infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of His own will to the praise of the glory of His wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. A lot of words there. Did you agree with it? Do you think that's an accurate statement about God and this world and your life and my life? Do you believe that at this very moment every single thing and every single inch of this universe is happening by the power of God in accordance with His sovereign will? That it is God that is causing our planet to turn It is God who is causing the wind to blow. That it is God who is causing your heart to beat. 
that even the thoughts, words, and decisions of men are ultimately the result of God's providential working. Do you believe that? Our Baptist forefathers who wrote that London Confession, they listed six passages of Scripture they believed proved this. Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Job 38.11, God speaking to Job Who said to the sea, Thus far you shall come, and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed? Who said that? Answer? It's God who says that. Isaiah 46, 10-11 I am God, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Psalm 135.6 Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the sea, and in all deeps. Matthew 10, 29-31 Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? That means they're cheap. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. Last one, Ephesians 1.11, the last text they give. In Him, Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, God, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And I think that one's the clearest of all. What is the providence of God? It's the reality that God works all things. Anything you can picture in your mind that's real. God is working all things according to the counsel of His will. Choose anything in all creation and it's being worked by God for His purposes. Maybe it's a hurricane. Maybe it's an election. Maybe it's you putting one foot in front of the other. God is working. Behind all of the obvious or hidden explanations for everything that exists and everything that happens in this world, there is this one. The work of God's hand. Wicked, deceitful Jacob came face to face with this reality. We saw it last Sunday night in Genesis 28. In a dream, God caused Jacob to see the stairway connecting earth and heaven. And there's angels ascending and descending the stairway. 
working invisibly in this world, accomplishing the purposes of God who sits at the top of the stairway. And this grabs Jacob's attention. Jacob, there's more going on in this world than what you can see with your feeble human eyes. I am working. Trust me. Jacob's life was turned upside down. He committed himself to follow this God. Made an oath to follow this God. His life had been heading in the complete opposite direction. Everything we had seen about Jacob was that he was a man of utter selfishness. And now though he still has much to learn, and there is still a lot of sin that needs to be rooted out of his life, just like there's a lot of sin that needs to be rooted out of our lives, Jacob is now a man committed to following Yahweh, Jehovah, the true God. Now in verses 1 through 14 of chapter 29, the providence of God is at work. Remember, Jacob is traveling to Haran to find a wife among the daughters of his uncle Laban. He's away from home because his brother Esau wants to kill him. Let's see what happens in verses 1 through 6. Verses 1 through 6. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? He said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Here is the providence of God. (laughs) Jacob is just trying to figure out where he is. He is... Alone, far from home, in a land of people quite different from himself. He's among the people of the East. He comes upon this scene of three flocks of sheep all gathered around a well. Lo and behold, he has not only come to the right place without knowing it, but these very shepherds know the man who he is looking for. And then as unlikely as it may have seemed, at that precise moment, the daughter of Laban, Jacob's future bride, appears on the horizon leading her father's sheep to the well. Just as in earlier chapters, God providentially led Abraham's servant to find a wife for Isaac, Now God is clearly acting in His sovereign power to bring Jacob to this place, to this woman, Rachel. Now I don't know if it was love at first sight. It does appear that Jacob immediately wants to impress this woman. Look at what happens next, verses 7 through 10. He said, Behold, which means, Look! 
It is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go. Pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Jacob knows a thing or two about shepherding, since he's in his life doing it up to this point. And so while Rachel is still coming over the horizon, he points out to these shepherds around him that it's the middle of the day, not exactly the time when it's time to gather all the sheep together. And so he tells the shepherds, water your sheep and go, lead them out to pasture. They respond by saying that that's not how they do things around here. They wait till all the flocks are gathered together. They then remove the stone from the well and they water the flocks. Now it's hard to know exactly what this disagreement was all about, but most commentators think that what it boils down to is that these shepherds were lazy men and that these shepherds were shirking their duties. The stones that were over wells like this were typically very heavy. It typically took two to three men to remove this kind of stone from the well. But there were more than enough men there. So why were these shepherds just hanging around? It appears that Jacob may have wanted to speak to Rachel privately. But whatever the reason, he was not happy that these shepherds are are hanging around. They're not in any hurry to leave. He wants them to leave as Rachel is approaching They don't. And they still leave the well closed with all their sheep waiting to be watered. Her sheep come. Rachel approaches. What does he do? He single-handedly removes the stone. Whether he meant it or not, he is showing off. This is an exhibition of Jacob's strength as he removes the stone and waters Laban's flock. Look at verses 11 through 14. Then Jacob kissed Rachel. This was just a kiss of greeting, nothing more at this point. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. He stayed with him a month. So this story is meant to ring bells in our mind of something we've seen before. As in the story of Abraham's servant back in Genesis 24, the hand of God was at work in bringing Jacob to the house of Laban to his future bride. This is providence. Now, what are some implications of this doctrine of providence? One implication is that there is no such thing as chance or luck. There is no such thing as as coincidences. Jacob just happened to stumble upon these men at this time, right when Jacob was approaching, right when Rachel was approaching. 
just happened to have this moment to almost immediately win her affection by doing this kind deed and showing off his strength. All of that, it just happened that way. No. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Casting lots was, is in some ways like our rolling a die, right? We play Monopoly and we, we roll the die and, and we assume what chance will determine what number I get. And certainly there are laws of probability that God has established, but behind all of that is the hand of God. He determines the roll of the die. He works all things according to the counsel of His own will. Things great! The election of presidents. Things small. You playing Monopoly. NFL teams getting ready to start their games here in a few minutes. Captains from various teams will gather around a coin to be flipped. Will it be head? Will it be tails? Proverbs 16.33 says the decision will be the Lord's. What all this means is that you must not look at the events of your day, each day, as being random events. Why did you encounter that old friend at the grocery store today when you haven't seen that friend in 20 years? What's God up to? Why did you suddenly come down with that cough now? Why was that bill higher than you expected or lower than you expected? What, why now? What's, what's God doing? If all this is true, we need to acknowledge God and His work around us every single day. When we are speaking to Him, communing with Him, praying to Him, we need to be asking Him, God, give me wisdom to see what You are doing and to take advantage of every opportunity. Since He is in control of everything that's happening around us, we should not undertake anything without much prayer. If it's anything of any size or substance, God, You're at work. Here's something that's on my heart and mind I want to do. Is it wise? Does it fit in with where Your providence is leading me? It should also fill our hearts with joy. For God has promised that He is doing everything that He is doing for the good of His people. Which means everything from the election of presidents to wars in the Middle East to a bird flying from one tree to the next is being worked by God for us, Christian. Do you think you're worthy of that? Do you think you're deserving of that? And yet here is the great love of God. In verses 15 through 30, God brings into Jacob's life a painful providence. Last Sunday we sang the hymn that says, Behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. The two decades that Jacob is going to spend at Laban's house are going to be tough decades. But God will be loving Jacob. These will be decades of tough love from the hand of God. These will be decades of Jacob now reaping what he has been sowing. You've heard people say, what goes around comes around. Well now this man who was a former deceiver is about to be deceived himself by his own uncle. 
His uncle welcomed him so happily. There was joy, there was excitement when Jacob came to stay with Laban for a while. Everything seemed so great. Look at what happens in verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. They've been said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Can you relate? You ever been that kind of in love? His heart belongs to Rachel. He came to marry a daughter of Laban. This daughter of Laban is now the object of his affections. It is he who who proposes that he work for seven years in order to obtain her hand in marriage. This is the bride price he is willing to pay. We are told that he was so in love with Rachel over these seven years that it was like they just flew by. He was eagerly anticipating the day when she would be his wife. And the day arrives. Verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. So the great wedding day arrives. A great feast is taking place. There's music, there's dancing. As was the custom of the day, the bride is veiled. The celebration continues into the night. The the desert is very, very dark at night. Jacob takes his new wife for their first night of conjugal love. And in the morning, he opens his eyes and looks at his bride. And it's Leah. He has married Leah. This was a painful providence for Jacob. Jacob has been taken advantage of. Laban is a shrewd man. It is possible that Leah may never have been married had he not pulled this stunt. This way, Laban gets the bride price for both of his daughters. He gets 14 years of labor from Jacob instead of seven Jacob himself was a crafty deceiver before. Now he's met his match. Remember, it was Jacob whom, as we have seen, had been willing to take advantage of others for his own gain. 
It was Jacob who was the cold and calculating one. Jacob who had been shrewd and deceptive. Now here he is, having been duped, married to a woman he has no feelings for. But Justin, Jacob's begun to change. Jacob's turned from his old ways. Jacob's now trying to, to follow the true God. Why would God let this happen to Jacob? This can't be right. Friends, coming to know the true God does not mean that we will be spared hurt and hardship. It does mean that Jacob's not alone. God will be with Jacob as he endures these difficult days. What's more, God's hand is at work. These things may be painful, but God is working all things for the good of His people, including Jacob. How many men have been made much humbler and wiser by years of hard work? Like it or not, Jacob is now getting a lesson in the school of hard knocks. He must submit to Laban. He must drink the same medicine that he used to dish out. He must endure. God is turning Jacob into... Jacob the rascal, into a godlier, wiser, humbler man. He is destroying pride in Jacob's soul by causing Jacob to have to submit to these things. And all of it, God is doing Jacob good. Christian, how does this apply to you? What difficulty are you now living in? What pressures and hardships are there right now in your life? And do you see them as random? As haphazard? Or do you see the hand of God doing you good? This life is short. God has your eternity in mind. His purposes will ripen fast. They're unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. This providence of God was disciplined for Jacob. This is God working to purify Jacob's soul by causing him to reap something of the sins that he has sown. And friends, don't you think that if this was true of Jacob, it won't be true of us? Galatians 6-7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Mount Hermon, don't be fooled and don't believe lies. Don't think that you can continue in a wicked way and God will spare you all the consequences. What sin is there in your life that you think, it won't catch up with me? In what way are you right now being disobedient, believing the lie that your sin is not going to ultimately bring you or others harm? Look, if God does not love you in a saving way, if His ultimate plan is for you to be cast into utter judgment, you may continue living this way. And your sins may not ever catch up with you in this life, but they will catch up with you in that one. But if God does love you in a saving way, if you are a child of God, then know this. The Lord disciplines the one He loves. 
He chastises the one he receives. Hebrews 12, 6. What do we say of those parents who watch their children misbehave and do nothing about it? What do you say about parents like that? Do we say, oh, those are loving parents? Those parents, they're caring well for their children. They just let them run free. What great parents. No. If we have any sense, we say parents who see their kids misbehaving and do nothing about it, we say those parents are being negligent, unloving, irresponsible in leaving their children undisciplined. They're setting their children up for disaster. God sees every sin of every one of His children. There is not one sin that we commit that escapes our Father's notice and He will not leave His children undisciplined. If He does not discipline us and we continue in sin, ultimately our hearts will be pulled away from Christ. Destruction awaits those whom the Lord does not discipline. Just as destruction awaits those children whom parents do not discipline. You see, it's love that moves the hand of God to give us a taste of the consequences of our sins in this life. If He loves you, He will ensure that at times your sins do catch up with you. He will make sure that you feel the pain that sin can bring into lives. Mount Hermon, flee your sins. Turn from your disobedience. Give up those secret sins. Put away that careless thought that says, well, I know that God says this, but... If you don't leave your sins, painful discipline will come. Or worse, it won't. You better hope it comes. Jacob is being loved. And it hurts. And oh, the irony of it all. Jacob has trampled the rights of the firstborn. His brother Esau is the older brother. Legally, Esau was to have the birthright. Legally, Esau was to receive the blessing. Jacob, in his scheming, has despised the rights of the firstborn. And now he is married to Leah, not the woman he loves, Rachel. And what reason does Laban give? Leah is the firstborn. We don't marry off secondborns before firstborns in these parts. The very thing Jacob has been despising has now caught up with him. Friends, there is sometimes a great irony in the providences of God. Several weeks ago, we saw all the reasons why polygamy is sinful and foolish. Jacob should have just submitted to the sovereign will of God and begun the task of learning how to love his new wife Leah, but he doesn't. He will not be content. He does not try and cultivate love for this woman. No, he must have Rachel in his heart. He must have her. Let's read the last three verses. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, 
and served Laban for another seven years. Now, Laban's deceptive act here will have painful consequences, and one cannot help but feel bad for Leah. Leah didn't choose to have bad eyes or to be unattractive. And for the rest of her life, she will be the other wife. She will be the wife that isn't really loved. Laban's deception has not only hurt Jacob, not only hurt Rachel, not only hurt the marriage that they were dreaming about, his, perhaps worst of all, injury has been done to Leah. And yet even here, God is working. Leah will prove to be a spiritually minded wife. Through her great suffering, she will come to be a woman who truly looks to the Lord. Just glance down at the name she gives for her sons, right? Her firstborn son, she names Reuben, which means to see. Leah declares that God has seen her plight. Perhaps now Jacob will love her. She names her next son Simeon, which sounds like the Hebrew word for heard. Leah declares that God has heard of her plight and is now blessing her with this child. Then comes Levi, whose Hebrew name sounds like the word for attached. She is longing for her husband to be truly attached to her. This name is a prayer for God to ease her suffering in this marriage. Then there's Judah. Sounds like the Hebrew word for praise. And Leah declares, this time I will praise Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord. Though Leah was unloved, and there was all kinds of sin involved in these marriages, God providentially still brought Leah to be Jacob's wife. And Leah would become the mother of half the tribes of Israel. She was a mother who who loved the Lord, trusted the Lord. She's going to make some mistakes. But no doubt she was a prayer warrior for her sons. Mount Hermon, ultimately all of this is about Christ. All of this is about God bringing about that nation from which His Son, the Messiah, would come. Even in the midst of sin and heartache, God was working towards a glorious purpose. The purpose of the salvation of His people through Jesus Christ. That's the big picture of which this is one little link in the chain. It has always been and always will be about Christ. God was working in Genesis 29 and He's working in 2011. And in all these things, He is working for one purpose. His providences are ultimately for one purpose. The glory of His Son, Jesus Christ. So dear friends, whatever happens to you this week, dear Christian, whatever happens to you this week will not only be for your good, but even more importantly, it will be for the glory of Christ. So let us take comfort in the providence of God. May this doctrine be sweet to us. And let all of these things move our hearts to rest in Christ all the more. Let's pray. Now I just call all of us into a time of reflection and prayer. Trust that God has spoken to you for